Well, welcome everybody to the latest episode of HR Tech Chat. Very excited today to have Richard Limpkin, who is the Chief Product Officer of Amidas, which is a Dublin, Ireland-based uh, global payroll provider. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Brent. Nice to be talking to you again. Yeah, yeah. We've um and and yeah, we've had a couple of uh, really interesting conversations um, in the not too not too distant past. Um, and uh, and in both times, um, I don't know about you, but I, I really wish that I had the record button running because we had some, we covered some really interesting ground. Um, and I know that we've been talking about this for a while. Just various ideas around global payroll. What is what is the road to global payroll? How does an organization? Uh, when does an organization realize that it needs global payroll? Does, kind of stumble into it or you know is there some sort of a of a you know a, a a little bit more of a plan there these sorts of things um and and we thought that this would just be a fantastic uh this would be fantastic subject matter uh, area of discussion for the podcast so thank you so much for for joining us and why, why don't we dive right in um what, okay. what are some of the pain points for global organizations when it comes to their payroll what are what are what are some of the the headaches, the frustrations? Uh, what are some of these things that just can really get out of hand? Yeah, it, it's it's a great question. There's there's a myriad of different answers depending on on the the customer organization. Um, I suppose if if you if first of all, like we, we love to try and, and simplify everywhere we can, um, and that's probably at, at the core of what we try and do in Amidas. But um, the two most fundamental things, really, with payroll um, at the outset, are timeliness and accuracy. Um, and without either of those, then then payroll is not really worth anything. That's that that's the key fundamental. And then you can kind of layer on two other things that are really important to that in terms of compliance and ultimately even more so in, in, in the environment we're in now and in, in, in the technologically led environment and the globalization aspect of that security and an absolute concrete sense of security around protecting the privacy of your employees' data. So they're kind of, for us, they're the four really fundamental things, um, two of them at the absolute core of it though. Interesting, interesting. Timeliness and accuracy. Uh, this is, Imagine if your payroll were not timely or accurate. I mean, both of those yeah. are just just an absolute disaster. Um, um, I, I remember reading a, a statistic, and I I keep meaning to look it up again and find out exactly where where its its origins. But 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 it's and I don't remember the actual number either. But it's it's a very very high percentage of employees that are um, they're willing to willing to tolerate just one mistake in yeah. payroll um and and if you know after that all bets are off you're dealing with a retention problem you're dealing with an employee sentiment problem all these sorts of things i mean um what what's your what's your take on that i mean yeah, it's like it's actually interesting. So a, a, a lot of um, the material actually that you, you would have published previously as well, Brent. You, you you know you would talk a lot about the abstract and concrete aspects of of HCM. Like I, I'm a massive fan, fan of the kind of original theorists in in HR theory. If if you go back to things like hygiene factors, 
Um, ultimately, those those base needs as human beings, they haven't really changed. People haven't changed in thousands of years. So that that need for safety, psychological safety, physical safety, and the ability to kind of food and uh, to feed and shelter yourself. Well, that's really what pay is at the core of. Um, that's what pay is enabling. So like the, the kind of original hygiene factor theorists would say that without that being right, nothing else really matters. You're nowhere even close to kind of self-actualization or anything else. So that's really it, kind of, in my opinion, that's why it's so fundamentally important still. And I don't think that's likely to change. It's, you know, we, we live very much in a society driven by need and driven by the, the mechanics of finance to fund the various aspects of life. So, you know, payroll and payroll being right and to expectation and timely, that's really the core of it. You know, that's that's really interesting. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up these sort of, you know, these 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 fundamental theories around, you know, psychological safety, physical safety, these sorts of things, um, because it and thank you for bringing up abstract and concrete ACM, because it's something I want to get into today. Pay is the most concrete aspect of HCM. I mean, we work for all sorts of reasons, you know, for, for, you know, to, to, you know, grow in our careers, to feel like we've done something that matters or that we feel that we've accomplished something, all these sorts of things. But, 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 but at the base of it, you know, before any of that happens, just like you said, you have to, I mean, we put it differently. It, if there is one common denominator among all people, they are getting, they're working to get paid and no matter where they're working, you know, you could say some, you know, if, if you're not working to get paid or if you, or if you're, you're working for subpar pay and you still love your job, then you could say that maybe, maybe you're, 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 it's more like you're volunteering, right? And, and you have, yeah. you have some, you've able, you've been able to secure some sort of semblance of, um, of safety for yourself by other means right so but let's setting that aside right that that pay really is just that 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 fundamental it is the reason people are working so so it's interesting that that and it also translates to a very it's a number i mean it is it is an indisputable number that um that uh that 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 goes into the gl every one two weeks some places a month you know every month and that's indisputable and that that's that's the most measurable so so it's, you could say it's the most measurable thing about hcm as well right and that's what we mean by concrete hcm is you know financially quantifiable things that we can we can that that, that we can influence uh in a way that's very readily um um recognized by accounting for instance right but then the the fact that it is so concrete, I have some window opened up on my computer for no reason, but we're okay now. <laughs> Sorry if I look uh, distracted. Um, you know, this is this is a reality podcasting. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's no legislating for anything that could happen here, so don't worry. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We'll we'll leave it in. It'll be a good candid moment. Uh, so um, so the, so what's interesting to me is that payroll is the most concrete aspect of hcm for all the reasons we just said and yet for that reason you could make the argument that it's actually the most abstract aspect of hcm as well and by abstract hcm uh, uh, we mean you know employee sentiment how does it affect your employee sentiment which is so 
so essential and critical and uh, fundamental to organizational success. Yeah, hundred percent. And what, what's interesting when you when you put it in those terms, Brent, and I'd, I'd be very aligned with them. If you think about payroll, like ultimately it's a process, right? And I you know I came from a I came from a, a very science led background a long time before I ever kind of entered into HCM twenty plus years ago. So I, I kind of look at these things quite binarily sometimes, sometimes to a fault. But but like payroll, ultimately, you're absolutely right. It is it is quite concrete in that. In most jurisdictions in the world, there is an absolutely correct way to calculate it, and anything else is wrong. Um, now, there are a couple of jurisdictions where there's variances and nuances that you can, you know, you can you can take benefit of if if you feel it's appropriate. That's all fine. But like ultimately, some of the more abstract aspects of HCM ultimately funnel and filter down into the payroll process. If if you move from comp and burn and reward theory into what the actual tangible results of those are and how that then manifests, it, it ultimately filters into that that concrete binary process of calculating payroll. And, and you're right, it generates a number and that number gets paid to the individual. So it's it goes from being potentially quite abstract into being absolutely binary. Um, and and that's, a, that's a key aspect of it. And then if you link that on to that binary number, again, back to the kind of basic management theorist stuff, motivational theory, if, if, if that's wrong, then you're disabling everything else. It, that's mm. that's the really fundamental part. Um, I know you, you start to think about financial well-being and, and the stress um, factors of finance challenges, then that can layer into it. So it, it can all really compound. You can go from maybe very abstract to very binary to very abstract again, all through the same process. Yeah, that's really interesting. It, it makes you wonder, um, well, I think we're essentially saying this, right? You know, there, there are so many rules and there's so much exactness around pay because it's concrete, but it is so concrete because it's so abstract. It's kind of interesting, right? Because there's so much employee sentiment behind it, right? It is yeah. that thing that you absolutely have to get right. Not just because of it being a number for the GL, but because there's so much, you know, um, psychological um, and emotional uh, need associated with it. That that's just fascinating. <laughs> that's a rabbit hole that we could we we could we could keep going down all day long. I think um, bringing it back to global payroll, though, uh, we're mm. talking about some of the pain points around global payroll. You know, there's um, timeliness and accuracy, obviously, which is which is shared with any payroll, even in just within one country, right, or within yeah, one region, maybe Canada and the U.S. But 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 data security, um, and I'm guessing also data, maybe data visibility. I mean, can you uh, just dive into this a little bit? What what are some of the ways that well, maybe you could paint a picture for us? A a, a for instance, there are many uh, uh, possibilities here, potentialities. But if you could paint for us a picture of uh, an example of, uh, for instance, of a of an organization that that has sort of stumbled into needing global payroll. And um, maybe, maybe you could speak to the security and the data visibility piece of it and how, how that might trigger that organization to say, oh gosh, <laughs> we, need to, um, we need to bring order to this. Yeah, totally. It, and it's a great example, Brent, because there's not a lot of organizations that kind of from a startup stage would set out to say, right, we're going to start up in 20 countries and we're going to have a global requirement from day one. 
um, in the majority of cases, what, what typically happens in the trajectory, now obviously each customer is on a different point of the trajectory, but they start out with a, a relatively manageable domestic payroll process, which is well within the bounds of the capability of their teams and the resources they have. But over time, as the as businesses grow and expand, whether that's through mergers and acquisitions, whether it's through organic growth, um, all those different dimensions, they start to have requirements in multiple jurisdictions. And then managing the complexity of those jurisdictions, and you, you know, go back to that previous point of every one of them being very exact and very precise, but potentially quite different to each other. It becomes an increasingly complex kind of conundrum of how you manage that. So you've got to provide data from a central core to all these different processes and systems globally, and that becomes quite challenging. And the, the key thing with securing anything is knowing where it is. If you don't know where something is, it's very difficult to secure it. So one of the things we've really focused on, um, particularly with the Amidas platform, is, is the concept of not having those legacy processes where somebody, for example, is running an extract from one system to then securely encrypt that and send it to another system to unpack that and import it somewhere else. The whole drive towards web services and having that kind of stateless data concept. So things only ex exist at the point of origin or the point of purpose. You start to eliminate some of those weaknesses in the process. And, and any process is only as good as its weakest link. So we're really focused on that. So the point of origin being point A and the point of purpose being point B, the, um, the, the pay actually being delivered to the employee. Yeah, so you, you're typically in global, you're, you're, um, depending on the maturity of, of the organization, your kind of point A, your origin will typically be, um, and it's been through massive consolidation in the HCM technology space, you, you'll have typically a HCM core system, um, which is in most situations, and again, there's little local nuances on data protection and what can and can't be done, like Russia is an example of high complexity for that. Um, but you'll have a centralized system for managing HR processes and the vast majority of the employee lifecycle, um, a lot of which can be relatively homogeneously managed. There will, of course, be nuances to each process in each jurisdiction, but relatively homogeneous for a globalized organization. But then you write down into the mechanics of the calculation in country and having to then separate that data out to each of the jurisdictions to process and execute in a payroll engine. Um, that's really where you're going to the point B. How do you go from that centralized core um, and not necessarily even one core? It might be um, it might be a HCM platform plus potentially an external benefits global platform or a time and workforce management system and getting those into the right place securely to be able to have every data point you need to calculate payroll, even though each of the data points may be different in each jurisdiction. So it's that kind of almost spider web of getting things aligned and consolidated without losing control of where they're going and without that becoming a hugely manual process for for a team that have to manage that centrally. Mm. How much of that is so so that that's very much a technological process, correct? Yeah, it's 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 it is very much tech enabled, but there is there is a massive service aspect to that as well. And in terms of good HR business process, globalized design, those types of aspects that can really drive good behaviors. So we you know we would often consider is is a customer really ready for global? Um, are they actually looking for lots of local and um, domestic situations, or are they on a truly global journey and ready to engage in a globalized model? Um, so that is a big piece of it as well. That process engineering from a HR perspective, data readiness, they're all key components of enabling good global payroll. 
so so in other words um and so in other words an organization could have a global footprint but not necessarily be ready uh not or not necessarily need just yet a, a full-fledged you know consolidated global payroll solution it could be that they just need some um some assistance at the local and regional level wherever their locations are to um just to to help facilitate the uh proper processing of payroll each period is is that is that uh what you're getting at yeah and, and you can absolutely you can absolutely enable that through technology but it, maybe maybe an example would be um if, if you look at some of the um not to name anybody if you look at leading kind of professional service firms they would classically have grown up of, as, a, as a, a much smaller number um globally distributed limited liability partnerships so they were um almost isolated practices and they came under a single banner and they grew and they consolidated some processes um but not all of them would have consolidated things like hr finance payroll into into a common core um so they could still be operating at a country level potentially maybe a regional level and part of executing really good um, global solutions for HR and payroll is around alignment of that. It doesn't mean that everything has to be identical by any means, but it does mean that you should be operating relatively similar processes and get the overall global outcome and efficiency from that. Let's let's take a um, let's uh, and this this might be a, a um, this might be too vague, so stop me if it is. But let's take a a global organization that. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, what size in terms of um, uh, number of employees uh, is, is, is an organization typically when it's become, you know, objectively speaking, uh, a global organization, if it is a global organization? So are we talking, you know, let's say you have an organization that's 500 employees. That is it, let me ask it this way. This is a better way to ask it. Let's say you have a, an organization that's, that's 500 employees. That's that's uh, kind of on the high end of, uh, of a small business, right? Is it possible for an organization of that size to be global and actually need a global uh, outsourced global payroll solution? Or are we, are we talking about just every possible hmm. mutation, permutation here is there's so many idiosyncrasy, in, idiosyncrasies that, that there's just too many uh, possibilities to, to really taxonomize right now? Yeah, there's no there's no right or wrong answer to it, Brendan. It's, it's a very good question, and and really it depends on the circumstance of the organisation. So if, if if you take your your example of the 500 headcount, um, if that's 500, let's let's say for example that's 250 in the US and 250 in Canada, um, would you consider that to be a global organisation? Or if that was 250 in the US and then let's say 25 per country in 10 other countries scattered globally. You, you get a very different answer with the same number of people. So it's very much around the complexity of what's been executed. Whether they're a global organization or not, I guess, I guess the right answer is that once you're in more than one jurisdiction, you're started, starting to head that way. Um, but in terms of the requirement for the solution and what you'd get benefit from, it's really once you get into that multiple jurisdiction scenario that really you can potentially, as a business, you can outgrow the capability or even the economic model of servicing that yourself internally and actually being able to provide coherent solutions if you've got you know 25 people in 10 different countries 
does it make sense to have a payroll manager in each of those countries if uh, if there's no alignment? Maybe the answer is different if two or three of the countries have very similar jurisdictions and you can have a regionalized center. Um, so that's really where the complexity comes in. And what we see a huge amount of in global is, is what's referred to as kind of big head and long tail. So mm -hmm. you quite often have that, that home jurisdiction, which would be very strong. And that's where a, a business may well have grown up originally. Um, but then that disbursement as they continue to grow and at the very tip of the long tail is quite often somebody who's been put in country to help set up in a new jurisdiction or maybe the first wave of sales staff in that jurisdiction. So they're all equally important in terms of the trajectory of the organization. It, you know, and sales staff, that that particular um, scenario just painted, right? I imagine that's that's a common scenario. And sales staff obviously have uh, uh, complex uh, remuneration uh, sort of makeup, right? So, so I would imagine that that would be almost right at the get-go um, a very complex global payroll scenario for for the uh, the head of the or of that organization uh, to manage. Yeah, sure. Spot on, Brad. And, and quite often, with with those um, lead individuals moving into new jurisdictions, you're quite often dealing with potentially an expat scenario as well. You take your you take your best people from from established jurisdictions, and you 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 let those individuals help you grow in another jurisdiction as well. Um, many organizations would, would grow that way. And it's quite often the best way of, of building offshore centers as well, that you take a combination of local and centralized resource and put them together for a period of time to establish and build. So all those complexities come into a single payroll in that chosen jurisdiction. Um, so you've got to take all that into account. So you're spot on. That can be sometimes more some of the more complicated stuff. It's not necessarily the scale. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the opposite. Yeah, and that's interesting to me, you know, and what's what's sort of what seems to be sort of forming forming right now is this idea that that um, it's not necessarily how large the organization is, but uh, but more so how many locations it's in and the types of employees in the various locations. So you could have uh, let's let's go back to that professional services organization, fairly maybe a fairly homogenous type of uh, uh, of of employee. You know, and across uh, spread across many countries, you know, that that is going to be complex, but not as complex as what we were just describing, which, you know, could be a much smaller organization, but with uh, all sorts of different types of employees with different uh, uh, pay related related needs. You, you know, this is actually might be a good segue into uh, because I want to get into this compliance. Um, I mean, we have <laughs> there's there's as many if not more compliance um, scenarios as there are regions and localities globally. Can, can you just speak to that a little bit? How does, how does um, a global payroll provider um, sort of uh, solve, solve for that? Yeah, it's a great question. And you're absolutely right. If, if you think about take, take even a single jurisdiction um, in isolation, you, you'll have components of um, local government, centralized government. Um, and US is a great example of a highly sophisticated, like there's something like 18,000 different permutations of, um, of tax and social and everything else in the US alone. 
Um, so, th so that that level of sophistication is actually increasing all the time. And if if you then layer onto that technological advancements in the jurisdiction and governments starting to drive um, digital transformation as well in terms of how tax and payroll um, filings are returned and the immediacy of that. We've seen that in the UK, we've seen it in Ireland and other jurisdictions where um, real-time information is brought into play. Australia have done the same. Um, that level of sophistication of technology is increasing all the time. Um, now, what it does mean is that the, the compliance regime is getting stronger and stronger. So there's, a, there's an almost immediate and absolute understanding of how, um, how and when things are filed and that kind of almost instantaneous receipting, particularly with real-time information and web service with tax returns and filings of payroll. There's a requirement as soon as payroll is executed to file with government and you're literally milliseconds later getting a receipt so that you know that that's happened and you've got confirmation so that's really changing things in that way but that's not everywhere and you know if you think about a, a, a typical customer for us would be operating in 40 plus countries um not all of those countries would have that level of sophistication in the tax jurisdiction and systems so you, you do need to make sure that you can cope and legislate for even the least sophisticated jurisdictions, even if that's actually retaining the, the confirmation of tax filings and receipts and payments and actually being able to digitize and control where they're stored so that when that customer is audited, that information is available and you have the control process around it. So that's mm. actually, I guess that's kind of, it, it's, it's synonymous with a lot of global payroll. You, you have a real spectrum of levels of sophistication across different countries and what's actually possible, but you can't lower the bar to the lowest. You have to push for the highest in every single individual one of them. Yeah, I'm thinking of, um, of, a, of, a, of an analogy here with the engineering of a, of a vehicle, for instance. Some vehicles, you know, the components are, uh, you know, they're, they're in, like, let's say the, uh, the, the electric window regulator is engineered to the same level of uh, of uh, of failure as say the the transmission, uh, which is engineered to last you know I don't know three hundred thousand miles or whatever right so so <laughs> I, I might be stretching this analogy but I love automobile analogies I love a good this, analogy though don't stop <laughs> <laughs> but but you, I think you see what I'm saying I, I hope you see what I'm saying right um, um, you know you have an or you have a a region that that has these, this high level of of uh, compliance um, um, mandated, right? Required, right? And so yeah. you would engineer, you would operate all regions uh, to to comply to that standard, uh, so as to to make the audit process as I don't know as straightforward and 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 easy as possible for for the users. Is this is this essentially what you're saying? Yeah, that's that's what you're really striving for. Obviously, the, the, there are kind of slow moving parts in that. In some jurisdictions, it's it's extremely challenging, particularly developing world jurisdictions, very challenging to get some of those components in play. Um, but ultimately, what you're trying to do is centralize that back into the customer. So regardless of the downstream process, the material they're dealing with, the certainty and the compliance aspect that then can be audited is the same. Um, so that's a really big part of it. And, and again, that's, that's an important part of global across the whole spectrum from inputs into the global payroll process to the results of it, and even posting information into finance systems, actually being able to align that globally, even though every payroll across the 40 for a typical customer is calculated differently. Right. Ultimately, you're slotting that all back into the same finance system centrally. 
with the yeah. same debit and credit and chart of account structure and nominal accounting, all those pieces. So it's just making sure that no one piece doesn't conform. Um, but at the same time, not making it so homogenous, you can't actually execute what you need to in country. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it's also occurred to me that it's probably more efficient from the global payroll providers part to engineer uh, for that that greatest complexity and and apply that uh, across the board than to engineer or, or to, to solve, excuse me, solve for for every single locality to the level that that's needed. Because the other thing is, if any locality starts to regulate more, well, you're you're already all set. Interestingly enough. Right? Yeah, totally. And look, that's all part of good product engineering. It's, it's always it's a little bit of a paradox of like, do you do you go for the low hanging fruit? Do you get the quick win? Do you get something that you can solve that isn't the biggest business challenge but does prove a business case? Or do you do you solve um, the most complex thing um, on the understanding that that will then unlock all the rest? It's a little bit of both. And what really you're trying to do is solve with reusability. So whatever you build should never be for the specific case in point. And like to go, your, your car analogy is a very good one. You don't build a car that can drive between, I don't know, New York and Boston. And that's the only thing it can do. You build a car that can drive anywhere you want to drive it. And of course, you have to do different things. You put a different amount of fuel in it. You change the direction. You take different routes. But the point is, you built it in a way that solves all of those different challenges without even necessarily knowing what the challenge for tomorrow might be. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That makes a lot of sense. I there's a couple things I want to get to um, in our remaining time. So one of them is, and and we'll we'll put a sort of just a placeholder on it for the moment is just a little bit more about concrete and abstract HCM, how it, you know, how it, uh, you know, how it uh, 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 pertains vis-a-vis -vis global payroll for various uh, stakeholders in your organization. We can get, I think we talked about it from an employee standpoint uh, already um, in, a, in a, you know, I'd say a pretty, pretty nice way, but, but um, I'd like to get to some other stakeholders, but first, this occurred to me. I think this would be interesting. Um, can you share with us, obviously not sharing actual customers' names or anything like that, but can you share an example of maybe maybe a customer that that you thought, wow, these guys, understanding that global payroll is necessarily, um, is just sort of by design, there's no way get around getting around it, that it's something that you did figure out that you need, that you put in place after you've gotten to the point where you need it versus yeah. sort of putting it in place beforehand, right? Is there any customer you've had um, uh, where you where you thought to yourself, gosh, these these folks, they really, I mean, they they were on it right away. They just, this is, this, I wish we, you know, yeah. I wish all our customers were like this. They, they got it, nipped it in the bud right away. Have you had that sort of a scenario? Yeah, definitely, Brent. I, I guess I guess it almost um, every every kind of conceivable area on the spectrum of being ready or not ready for global, we, we've we've seen we've seen a significant mix of that. Um, there's a number of them actually that really stand out to me, and I guess it, they're the ones that they stand out for lots of reasons. But I think in any kind of project or implementation or anything to do with technology over the last twenty years there's a few things that always stand out and you remember them for sometimes for reasons that were challenging and sometimes for reasons that were brilliant. 
Um, so there's definitely a few uh, for me at the brilliant end um, in terms of Amidas customers, there's, there's a good number of them. And um, there's a couple that really stand out in terms of, to your point of, of being on it and being on it before it began. Um, and part of that is taking a really forward looking um, approach to how ready you are and, and being on that journey ready for global. Um, what does that really mean? Well, it, it means that when they when they first went to market and implemented their HR platform, they did it in a way that they they kind of brought everything in centrally rather than implementing a country at a time and doing each one in isolation and, and pandering to local needs in every regard. They always had the concept of running things at at least at a regional, if not a global level. So they'd gone through the exercise of consolidating their, their comp and ban. Um, they'd looked at how people were remunerated globally. They'd aligned things that were similar and called slightly different things, but actually amounted to the same thing. All those kind of things that are a lot of hard work to do, but really important to the outcome and the efficiency of the organization. They, the, the ones that are at the top end of that spectrum were the ones that had already done that work. So when it came to actually executing and back, you know, back to your really important point about concrete versus abstract, they'd really moved from abstract to as close to concrete as they could on the HR business processes and data and everything else. So that when it came to the absolute binary of running payroll, they were much closer to that. Um, yeah, and you still have the little weird things in certain jurisdictions where Let's say, for example, there's a particular type of employee reward you want to give for high performers, but in one or two jurisdictions, it's just not legally allowed to pay it as a tax-free benefit. It has to be dealt with differently. Even those types of complexities, they've started to take into consideration. So they're the really high-performance organizations that can drive through global payroll at an incredible rate. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's almost... It's almost as if they they read the right books, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, let's yeah, totally. yeah, you know, all, read all the right articles. Okay, let, let's make sure we do because there's so many things to 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 bear in mind for uh, across enterprise, not just an HCM, right? Or or, or totally you know, obviously payroll that to have as as streamlined as straightforward of a of a of a of a of a of an enterprise software ecosystem as possible as you grow um and it's always occurred to me gosh it would be great if every organization could you know you think about you know small you know smbs and you try to get them thinking about uh some of these things at the very outset and um it, i think that's a good exercise but so many of them are just you know they're they're focused on you know their immediate um, and often it's very concrete HR related yeah. needs and, and you can't really, you can't really blame them. It's not, it's not as if they're, they're just being irresponsible or anything like that. No, that's just the nature of what it's all about at that, at those totally. beginning stages. You know, most organizations, when they're small, when they grow to the point where they need some sort of an HCM solution in place, it's because all of that, that, um, that um, uh, ultimately automatable stuff is has just become too much to handle from a manual standpoint um so yeah um so many parallels there have you have you ever encountered a, an organization that or you know a, a situation where you thought oh wow they let that go a long time um uh, we can fix this but um uh, but but it's going to take yeah. some doing yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I suppose that the first thing I'd say is, um, would you be surprised by that? I, I, I guess not, because like part of the need and part of the reason to go into market for 
any kind of consolidated solution, but particularly global payroll, is you, you've potentially gotten to a point where you're struggling to manage the process um, and struggling to manage the complexity. So quite often these things, and particularly payroll, has been super underinvested in terms of technology. Um, historically, payroll was always the piece, you know, it's the real thing of if it's not broken, don't try and fix it. You know, back to the earlier points, if, if you make a mistake in the transition of a payroll, that can be damaging. So let's just leave it a, leave it alone. Um, that's been the, the kind of premise around payroll for, I guess, for the last 30, 40 years. But we're at a critical point now where globalization is driving the need to change that. Um, and, and businesses just simply cannot continue to scale without addressing that global payroll challenge. Um, so quite often customers are in that situation. Like we, we're actually not sure what the path is from here. You know, we've gotten to this point and, and that's part of maturing as a business as well as, as you go through those different stages of growth, you know, potentially from early domestic business to a business doing globalized international business, but from small number of jurisdictions to having presence globally. And it's not the same path for any organization by any stretch, but it's all part of growing up as a business and your requirements change. So they need to facilitate those and to accommodate your workforce. And, and even, you know, the piece you spoke to earlier, Brent, around the employee becoming more and more centric to that. We, we, you know, we, we think of employee centricity as a key part of our roadmap. And everything we do is around trying to deliver to the employee, the customer of our customers as we think of them. That's what's really changing in the marketplace as well. People's right to understand their data, where it's held, how it's managed, what it's used for. And that's really driving out of HR and into payroll as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people taking just sort of a, you could make an argument for, we could we could discuss this, for, you know, for, for hours, but this idea, just the, the evolution of, of the employee's understanding of their relationship to their employer, you know, it's, it has moved on, I think, um, um, just in terms of where we are today versus say a hundred years ago, um, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to imagine uh, employees, most employees uh, asking, you know, oh, um, what am I getting out of work aside from, you know, my, my pay, right? You know, obviously there were professionals back then too, but the, that was also a career for them. Let's switch gears here uh, in the remaining few minutes we have. Um, let's talk about abstract and concrete HCM or, or it doesn't even have to necessarily be abstract and concrete, but what are some of the, some of the, um, the, the, the challenges um, that uh, let's say the CIO or the CTO um, encounters uh, specifically in uh, HCM. And then, and then if we have time, maybe, maybe a little bit about, you know, what's, what's sort of, what's, what's the domain of the CFO? What is the CFO concerned about? What are the potential pitfalls for, for finance and the CFO when it comes to uh, global payroll being, you know, uh, maybe not, you know, um, uh, in order? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, there, there's there's a there's a big breadth of things there, and they are, I guess, the hats they wear are very different. Some of the concerns are very similar, but I, I suppose ultimately, for um, if I take the CIO first, um, generally speaking, in most organisations, the, the the protection of and security of all aspects of the corporate information, um, including the employee aspects of that, would fall in that remit. So typically, in that role. The, the absolute certainty around how data is managed and secured, um, and increasingly so, the reason it's even held 
um, and, and what it's used for um, become really quite central. So that certainty around how any, any um, SaaS provider um, or, or even internal system provider, how they secure the data, how they manage that, how they comply with an increasing number of um, local legislations around that, like GDPR and, and other aspects, you know, um, data sharding and whether certain aspects of a record could only be stored in certain jurisdictions, all those pieces are becoming um, increasingly complex. So they're very much CIO domain. So they, they tend to be the primary concerns around ability to operate a complex landscape but keep things safe um, and mm -hmm. a lot of that's about understanding what is where and why that's the probably the simplest way of looking at that piece so very um, much a very much a compliance concern yeah data data compliance um uh, compliance with securing the data storing the data uh, and ultimately processes around it um, mm -hmm. and again back to you know back to any process where are the weak links where are the things that are most likely exposed um, and how do we manage and mitigate against those? So that's something we, you know, we as an organization put a, an, an insane level of focus on um, for all the right reasons, and, and it's paramount that we do. Um, the CTO then, interestingly, they, they tend to be less involved in the, um, other than the potentially initial selection and maybe some, um, some typically in our, our customer environments, uh, less involved in the implementation aspects of a, a global HCM or, or payroll solution. Um, they'd quite often lend resource in terms of integration and those types of aspects. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, if you then look at the, the CFO, the, there's an increasing demand for data. Like every, every organization should be striving to become much more data led. Um, we're seeing the prevalence of chief data officers in many organizations and, and the need to really use data um, in a way that can drive um, dominant change in a business and, and making the right decisions proactively for the right reasons. And payroll for, for a lot of organizations is, is a substantial, not, not for all, but for most organizations is a substantial chunk of the cost, um, unless you're in a manufacturing environment where that's, that can often be less so, um, raw materials can kick in. But that, that understanding of um, where the cost is, how the cost is managed, um, how efficient that is in delivering for the business in different areas. So being able to consolidate that data, get access to it, Again, to your point, Brenda, around compliance, making sure that all the filings are accurate and correct, making sure that what was in a gross nerd is absolutely what's posted through journals when it was rolled up and consolidated across multiple FX rates in a period, all those different things are under control. Um, CFO is a, a, a key stakeholder for us in, in most global payroll um, implementations. Yeah, whether you're in a manufacturing uh, organization or any other kind of organization, you know, whether, whether the payroll, the that final number for payroll is is the, the largest number or not, it's going to be a significant number for any organization. Yeah. And, and just like any other type of, uh, of cost, um, it's going to be very much uh, of interest to the CFO. So, um, and, and, there, and that CFO is going to want to have as much insight, I, like you said, into exactly what's going on with that number um, at, 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 at all, uh, conceivably all the time. So, yeah, so, yeah absolutely. And, and you know what, the, the data piece, um, the data security piece with the CIO that you mentioned earlier, um, yeah. obviously that's also employee sentiment thing right because very much so yeah yeah like it, it's so it's so key and you know we've seen a huge amount of that a big a big piece of like gdpr is a, a much talked about thing um but a lot of what it really mandated was actually common sense behavior around data 
Um, there was nothing really in it that didn't make sense um, when you understand legislation and what it was mandating in terms of really, really what was central in the theme was putting the individual that the data relates to in control of that data. And, yeah. and it, it was a really important step in that direction that ultimately you as the person own your identity and all aspects of that. And you're lending that to other people to use for a purpose, um, which, which is really important. So that, that you're absolutely right. That sentiment is, is fundamentally shifting. And we're absolutely seeing it in the even in the employee environment, employees being highly demanding and, and, and potentially rightly so as to why you have their data and what it's used for how much of it is long-term stored versus short-term usage, all those types of dimensions are shifting and will continue to shift. Ultimately, I, I, I see the, the, the trajectory for the HCM market is likely to fragment, um, not, not in the near term, but into almost a decentralized model where the person owns their record and that record effectively becomes a HR passport that travels with the individual as they move through their career. And that kind of centralized storage we're starting to see it with digital wallets um, and and certain aspects of the record in terms of maybe certification for education and courses you've sat but that will propagate and that's becoming increasingly important oh i think you're absolutely correct about that and uh we, we spoke with a, a fellow on on podcast uh, uh gosh about a month and a half ago now uh, mitch zanger who's the founder of sync tricks and it's it's nothing to do with payroll but but it's um it's, it's this idea that the employee should own his or her own data uh, that it does not belong to the organization and, you know we have entire data models that are built around the idea that um you know that 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 the organization owns the data and that that needs to change um it, it, I'll just leave you with this with this this idea. You know, it's so interesting um, that we ended up talking about GDPR and and um, and how a person's individual data belongs to them. Um, just this idea that it should. Um, it's so interesting because I thought, you know, to myself, as I was walking my daughters down the road and looked at it, she she wanted to go some down someone's driveway. And I said, well, that's somebody else's driveway. We can't, you know, that's their private property. And then and then I kind of jokingly talk to her about private property is very important you know she's she's only she's not even three yet she doesn't <laughs> didn't know what it's talking about right but I'm, I'm priming her but the idea is that <laughs> it was kind of a funny thing but but um but the same time right it did occur to me um in that moment that you know we don't you know somebody's not just allowed to walk in your property and just set up a tent or whatever you know you gotta invite them they need to be invited they need permission it should yeah. be the same with our data online yeah, 100%, Brendan. And if you if you take it to a, a, the next step as well, like some, some organizations would fear that in terms of um, employees being more empowered and in control of the data. But I, I look at that as, as a, a hugely positive step for everyone in, involved in the process. If you're looking for good, clean, accurate data, where are you most likely to get that? Well, the person that it relates to, who knows the absolute facts, how many dependents they have, what the age of the children are, those little simple things that in some jurisdictions influence how you're paid, put that into self-service, which is a, what a lot of our customers are starting to adopt in the Mutis platform, is actually pushing that to the employee to self-manage. What it also does then centrally is it protects you as the employer, because if you don't have the data, you're not ever going to have an issue with that being held or why you're holding it. You're actually letting the employee drive that themselves for the very distinct purpose. They know why they're providing it. They know it's accurate and everyone wins. So I see those being really positive steps in the industry. And I think they'll accelerate. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's another, that, that would be such an interesting cover. Maybe, you know, maybe we can uh, make that the subject of our next podcast. Definitely. Together, yeah, yeah. That. Absolutely. yeah I, I'd love, I love to. That. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. This has been just fascinating. Yeah, likewise. Super to talk to you again, Brent. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. No problem. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.